The Testudo Times podcast did not go away for long. It went away for the summer. It went away for a month because, hey, everybody needs a break, right? It's summer, school's out. We could take a little break from Maryland. But Maryland didn't stop during the summer, didn't stop during July. And therefore, now that it's August, we have to pick back up again. I am Matt. Thank you for being patient with us and joining me. Only one person on this summer evening is Alex Kirshner. Hi, Alex. How was your July? You know, it was it was good. I had a good uh, good little break here and just really excited to hear your voice again. Oh, that's so nice. Are you in College Park now? I am. I am not. I'm going to not be there for another month. So it still feels like summer at the moment where I am. Uh, mm. Probably feels a lot more like summer in College Park. But anyway. It feels like summer here too. Definitely. Oh, is it, it's hot and humid, I would assume. It is. It is not hot and humid where I am. It's quite wonderful. <laughs> it is. It, it's, it's a nice break from the heat and humidity that I usually experience back east. Anyway, we've got plenty of things to talk about. The summer has provided us with some talking points. The first of which, I know what happened a while ago, but bear with us. This podcast took a bit of a break, so therefore the news didn't stop for us. Randy Edsel's contract extension. Now, we've talked about it a lot on the site. It's, a th- I believe, a three-year extension, if I'm correct, right? Yes. Okay. Three-year extension. I believe which so. Is, I believe so. It goes it, it's been a while ago. It goes through, it goes through uh, 2019. So yeah, so it's, I think, a three-year would extension. Expired, would have expired. Yep, yep, that's right. So three-year extension on top of what he's already had. That was fairly notable. But I think what was more notable was, of course, the buyout. $500,000, I believe it was reported. The buyout being notable mainly because it seems like a bit of a safety hatch just in case it goes very wrong this season. Maybe it's the athletic department acknowledging that this could be a tough season. When that news came out, Alex, I know it's been a while, so try to get your thoughts back from that point. What did you think about the contract and the buyout? Uh, I think that it's... You know, obviously something that's in the university's best interest to get that clarity. I think it speaks to Edsel probably not having a huge amount of leverage. Um, you know, people don't need to worry about Randy Edsel bolting for some other job. Um, if that was a worry, then I don't think he would have accepted um, such favorable buyout terms on the university's part. Um, it's, I think it's $500,000 for the first two years. Uh, and then if the university decided to make a change sometime in 2018, which would be the last year of the extension, uh, there'd be no buyout at all, which is, I think, more standard towards the end of a contract. Um, but it's good for Maryland in case things go badly. I think Maryland's hope and what's probably going to wind up happening is that Edsel will coach out this deal. I, I think Edsel's going to be at Maryland for a while, uh, as long as he makes it through this year, You know, as long as he can wait for Dwayne Haskins and company to show up in 2016 and start showing uh, the results that would be expected of guys like that. I think you could settle in for the long haul. We've, we're going to talk about recruiting in a second, but I've asked Pete this question on a past podcast, and I don't know if I've asked you this, but we're going to ask this plenty often this month, and when we get to our main football preview, I'm going to ask it to everybody. But for you now, what do you think it would take for Maryland to have to pull the trigger this season? Like, how bad would it have to be? Because I don't think generic bad, like the 4-8, and 5-7 and seven kind of bad, is going to be bad enough. Because that's kind of what everybody expects is going to happen this year. It's a rebuilding year, a retooling year. A the rest of the Big Ten got better, and we've gonna, we're going to have a lean year. So how bad would it have to be? I, I agree. I think anything worse than four and eight would probably do it. Um, but I don't think Maryland will do any worse than four and eight. I, I think they're going to have a losing record uh, just because of how tough the Big Ten looks and all the uncertainty that Maryland has. Though I think I'm talking myself into them being better than I've expected. Um, but I think I think that four and eight to six and six range 
is almost definitely where they'll fall. Um, if it's worse than that, you know, then that means Maryland uh, didn't win any games outside of the opening three against Bowling Green, uh, Richmond, and South Florida. Uh, and if that happened, if they didn't win a single Big Ten game or or a game at West Virginia or anything like that, um, then it would be hard to hard to take the hit that Maryland would take in the in the public relations department. But other than that, I, I agree. I don't think he's uh, I don't think he's likely to go anywhere. And when we parlay that into recruiting, of course, the DMV to UMD movement is continuing to get stronger. Notably, last Friday, we're recording this Monday, August 3rd, if you, didn't, if you couldn't already tell, uh, Tino Ellis committed to Maryland ahead of Virginia Tech. I don't think this was a huge surprise in many recruiting circles. I wasn't following it uh, pretty detailed, but a four-star wide receiver from, I think, DeMatha. So again, it's another local kid deciding to stay at Maryland. And the strength of this DMV to UMD movement is getting stronger and stronger by the day, which is why I, I kept thinking when you saw the Randy Edsel buyout, it was a bit surprising because it to me, I think the movement is just as hooked on Randy Edsel as as Edsel is hooked on the movement. Don't you agree? It's hard to say. I mean, I'm I'm not in the living rooms when Randy Edsel's talking to these kids and their families and making this geographical pitch. Uh, but it seems to be something that um, Edsel has put his own brand on. Uh, it seems to be the way that Maryland is approaching recruiting these local players, and it's smart. Um, you know, I think we'd probably be sounding a pretty different tune if uh, if Tino Ellis had decided to go to Virginia Tech instead of Maryland last week. But uh, given that he didn't, and given that Maryland uh, is still very much in the running for Trevon Diggs, Stefan's little brother, um, Keith Sims, the linebacker from Bethesda, uh, and a couple other guys, you know, it's until it falls apart, uh, it's working. Until it falls apart, it's a good idea. It certainly hasn't fallen apart yet. Um, so it's, it's a good thing for Maryland to be shooting for. I believe Trevon Diggs' announcement was supposed to be sometime in the beginning of July. Can you yeah, remind everybody it, what happened and why, it's been, why it hasn't happened yet? I think he was going to announce on July 4th. And, I think uh, that's what I remember, too. And to his credit, he, he wasn't ready and he didn't do it. Can't blame him for that. Well, that's good. That's a good decision. We usually see kids on announcing too early. Now let's talk yeah, specifically about Tino Ellis, uh, the four-star wide receiver. Yeah, is he from DeMatha? I just want to make sure he I got is, that right. Okay, good. Yep. So what does he bring to the table in terms of adding to the receiving position, of course, which we have already documented on this show, completely decimated after last season. It's going to be a bit lean there this year. What does he add to the position next year if we're looking ahead? I mean, he adds a lot. He's uh, ranked as one of the top 50 receivers in the country. And remember, there are a ton of receivers that play high school football in the United States. Um, he's ranked among the top 50 in the country, top 10 player in the state. Um, I don't know if he'll if he'll contribute as a freshman. It's hard to hard to say based on what Maryland's depth chart will look like uh, basically 365 days from now. Uh, but he's a big time talent. He's he's the best receiving recruit uh, that Maryland has had since Juwan Winfrey uh, last year, and that obviously obviously didn't work out um another matter um mm -hmm. but he's he's a talented kid and i think that there's there's no question that wherever he wound up he was going to be a big contributor within within a few years of getting there and he'll do a lot for for maryland and a lot for Dwayne haskins so when we keep thinking about the movement and we keep thinking about just waiting out this season we're going to now transition, I think, a bit into training camp. And let's talk about some of the players that are going to be here this year because there is a football season we have to get to before we get to 2016. In some of the position battles in training camp, training camp starts soonish, like in about two weeks. What are some of the positions that we're going to be looking at as saying, here are the positions that are open for battle 
And who are some players that we should be looking out for to see what they can prove in training camp since they're likely going to be important pieces this season? I mean, you're really looking at most of the roster when you're talking about position battles. I mean, I think, you're, I, think the, I think the better question is what positions have no battles this year? Yeah, I mean, really, I, I think Maryland's secondary, at least its starting secondary, is pretty much set. Um, Will Likely and Sean Davis are going to be the cornerbacks. A.J. Hendy and Anthony Nixon are going to be the safeties. That's going to be a very good unit, provided Maryland can get pressure on the quarterback like it did last year. Um, the kicker is going to be Brad Craddock. Um, and really, that's, uh, that's just about it. Um, you know, Andrew Zeller will start somewhere on the offensive line, probably, probably a guard again, uh, almost certainly a guard again. I guess there, there's some question maybe about uh, if he'll be on the right side of the left, but I'd assume, he'll be on, I'm, I'd assume Zeller will play right guard again like he did last year. Um, running back, you know, it'll be some combination mostly of Brandon Ross and Wes Brown, just like it's been. Um, so really, those those are the spots where where you know what things are going to be like. Um, and Yannick Ngakwe, excuse me, Yannick Ngakwe will definitely start um, at a defensive end position, um, which of course is new in the four three defense that Maryland's been starting. Other than that, it's wide open. I mean, Maryland yeah. lost its top five receivers from last year. Uh, Maryland's, almost the entire front seven. Um, yeah, almost the, basically the entire front seven minus. Gakwe uh, and uh, and Jesse Annabonum, who played a little bit last year, um, so there's you know complete openness there. Um, I think I think receiver is going to be interesting just because it's such a free for all. Um, Maryland has a, a couple of freshmen coming in who play the position there. Um, the most touted of them was DJ Moore, who was a four star recruit. Uh, but I think the starters on Maryland's depth chart at receiver in the preseason. Um, you know, there's Malcolm Comer, who has never, ever, ever started for Maryland before. Uh, he is listed. Amba Etatawa is listed as a starter. Uh, and Laverne Jacobs listed as a starter after being suspended last year. Um, Laverne and his brother Tavon are pr- both probably going to be pretty good. Um, but after that, uh, you know, and, and after Amba Etatawa, um, lots of jobs that could be, uh, could be won or lost. And, and that doesn't say anything about quarterback, um, you know, a fairly important position that Maryland does not have settled. Well, we, we kind of, I think we've kind of said it's pretty much settled. It would take a lot. Well, okay. What would it take for Dax Garman to be starting against Richmond and not Caleb Rowe? I mean, it, it would be, it would take him to significantly outplay him. Uh, or an injury. Or, since, or an injury. Of course, the angry Maryland I mean, quarterback ain't a god. I, I don't think there's any reason to not take Randy Edsler's word um, that three guys are listed as co-starters right now, um, and that leaves some openness. I'd be surprised if it were, if it were Perry Hills. Um, I'd be moderately surprised if we're Garmin. I agree, Rose, kind of the odds-on favorite to take that job. But lots of lots of things could happen there. And and not to mention at tight end and all along the offensive line, minus Mike Dunn and Andrew Zeller. So let's talk about I want to talk about one player. And at defensive tackle. Yes, that too. There are some it's again, it feels like there are more positions and- where there are gonna be open battles where there are uh, more than there aren't. But I want to get to one player before we move on to the uh, the four three defense which is going to be a huge sticking point this season with the new defensive coordinator. Uh, one player I want to talk about is Damian Prince. Of course, highly, highly, highly touted recruit that went to Maryland, stayed at home get because of the Big Ten, oddly enough. He redshirted last season. What do we expect from Damian Prince this season? Um, this is another one that's it's tough to do anything but cop out by saying I haven't seen him, but I haven't seen him. Uh, you know, he, he did not play a snap last year, obviously. Um, I, I'd assume that he took that time to get a lot stronger uh, and to, to work on his technique. I mean, he's a big, big guy. He's, uh, I think, north of, well north of 320 pounds. 
Um, so he's going to be, you know, you'd think a pretty good asset for them, but it's hard to say. I mean, it's until, until you actually watch him face division one competition. Um, all you know is that he's a guy who was one of the best line recruits in the country as recently as a little more than a year ago. Um, and the natural progression is certain to be pretty good, but it's hard to say. What would the ideal world, what would his contributions be this season? I mean, this is going to be yeah. his first year in D1. Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, he'd be a star. I mean, he'd be he'd be in all, you know, in the most ideal world, uh, he'd push for all-conference honors, you know, as, as a redshirt freshman. I don't think that's impossible, um, but I do think it's unlikely. I think the, the likeliest scenario is that, um, as it is with most young guys who have that much talent, um, he'll have his moments, both good and bad. Uh, he'll he'll get better and he'll be you know progressively more forceful each season that follows. Uh, but I think that there's there's obviously considerable upside and it's just a matter of of how long it takes to get there. All right, we we kind of tap dance around it before, but let's talk about the four three defense. It is a dramatic change from what Maryland was doing before. Obviously, they had been a four uh, three four team for many many years, and now they've moved to a four three with the uh, new defensive coordinator that has come in. Uh, we kind of under estimate the change since there aren't really many defenses you could run anymore but the the difference between a 3-4 and a 4-3 is fairly large and for the kind of players that Maryland has mainly for the players that they lost do you think the 4-3 is the right way for this team to go I do I think it makes a lot of sense given what Maryland has and what it doesn't uh the biggest problem that Maryland had as a defense last year uh was that it could not stop the run I mean the Terps got after quarterbacks fairly well um, but they were near the bottom of Division One uh, in all the metrics that measure how well your front seven does stopping the run. Um, whether you're into the kind of the football saber metrics like adjusted line yards, where they were near the bottom, um, you know, rushing S and P, where they were near the bottom, uh, or just you know, pretty standard, easy to see things like yards per carry uh, and and carries per game, and how much teams tried to run on them and successfully did. Maryland did not stop the run last year. They didn't come close to stopping the run. Um, and that's why, you know, that's why they gave up a lot of points, even though they had one of the best cornerbacks in the country and, and a pretty solid secondary. Um, so adding an extra guy to the line in a league where every defense, uh, except for Wisconsin and, and sort of kind of Purdue, uh, does the same thing. Uh, I, I think it'll help Maryland keep up a little bit. Uh, there are a lot of really good offensive linemen in the league. Um, obviously some teams don't have them looking at you, Penn State, uh, <laughs> But, couldn't get a, couldn't have a podcast without digging at Penn State. I but, love this. Uh, Welcome well, back, no, everybody. I, I, you know, I don't even don't even mean it like that. It's just the last you know last year. Um, uh, I know. Not hard to tell. You know, Maryland had a pretty bad defensive line. Uh, excuse me, pretty bad front seven in terms of stopping the run. Um, there was one game in the Big Ten where they uh, where they really did that, and you can guess which one it was. Yes, yes. So you know, it, it'll be it'll be something that helps Maryland keep up with the conference. Uh, that does have a lot of good offensive linemen and a handful of really good running backs. What's, who's, what player do you think is going to see the most appreciable benefits from moving to the 4-3? Because we've talked about Ngakwe, who has pro, legitimate pro prospects next season. And he, was already, and he was very good in the 3-4 as a pass-rushing outside linebacker. How do you think he'll do as a stand-up 4-3 defensive end? Um, you mean like a... Yeah, well, a, the, the, the hand on this ground. Hand on this ground. Yes, that's what I meant. Of course. Um, I think, you know, he'll do well. I think Jesse Anabonum will do well just because they're both so talented that you'd expect them to do well anyway. Um, I think where it really could help them a lot 
um, is on the interior, having two defensive tackles instead of one nose. Uh, last year, Darius Kilgo played very, very well for Maryland, uh, but it's still tough when you know you're you're on what was a pretty undersized defensive line. Um, you know, obviously it was next to Andre Monroe, who's five foot eleven in heels. Um, so I, I think it was tough for Maryland to stop the run last year, even with Kilgo. But I think putting Quinton Jefferson, who remember has started for a few years and missed last year with an injury, um, putting Quinton Jefferson inside a former defensive end, putting him at tackle, uh, and putting him next to either David Shaw, who's you know a pretty well regarded prospect, but is a little bit thin for a tackle. Um, putting him with him or putting him with Kingsley Oparo, who's a real big body that you can put in the center of the line, um, probably helps all parties involved as opposed to one guy trying to play the nose and, and plug a running game on the interior all by himself. That seemed like it was something that Maryland was struggling with. But we're going to get into a lot more of these position battles and talk more about the 4-3 as we go along in this month, as training camp gets underway and we get a little bit more clarity on position battles. It's kind of hard to do it now in, on the hypotheticals. But basketball also didn't take a break this summer. Mark Turgeon and Mellow Trimble were at the Pan Am Games. U.S. won bronze. I don't remember how well Mellow Trimble did. The Pan Ams were just a, a sort of a thing that happened, and some people watched and some people didn't. It was on ESPN, but they couldn't push it. So right. I just know I knew that they were there. Uh, but right. we did have some workouts, and I remember it was a while ago. I don't remember in, when in July this was, but it was somebody talking about Robert Carter. There was a tweet. Uh, that said Robert Carter has a surprisingly good perimeter game for somebody of his size. And I remember thinking, if Robert Carter can shoot threes, is anybody going to be able to stop Maryland? So I want to get to that little comment before we talk about a few more basketball things. Did you, do you remember what tweet I'm on about, or is that too long ago? Yeah, not, not specifically, but I do remember the discussion. Um, obviously, anytime you have you know a 6'8 power forward who's that physical who can also step outside and shoot threes, uh, it's going to be an asset, but I, I think there should probably be uh, a little bit of a word of caution with that. Um, Maryland loves Robert Carter. Uh, everyone who has watched him thinks he's going to be a great asset for the Terps. Uh, he also shot something like 25% from three um, for Georgia Tech when he was a sophomore two seasons ago. Um, unless he has literally improved his three-point shooting by a full 15%, and he's <laughs> a 40% three-point shooter. Uh, it does not make sense for him to be taking threes in this Maryland offense with the weapons that Maryland will have. Maryland has four, even five guys um, who can regularly flush three-pointers um, from the spots on the court that are a little bit more natural for them. Um, I, I think Maryland's going to have Mello Trimble, Jake Lehman, Rashid Sulman, Jared Nickens, all certainly shooting threes at uh, you know close to a you know at somewhere between a 38 and a 41 percent clip. Um, I think Deion Wiley could get into that neighborhood too. Um, knowing that, it just seems it seems very unlikely to me that it would be Maryland's most efficient option to have Carter shooting threes, as good as he could be at other things. It just sounded really cool at the time, and it also was a great backbone of a July discussion. Because you don't get great discussions like that in the dead of July about basketball very often, and we did, and we did there, and it was quite exciting. Uh, another basketball question, uh, part of our questions. Thank you for answering, even though we're recording this at 1048 at night Eastern time, partially because of where I am and also partially because I just felt we needed to get something done. Uh, Fadima Ali asked us, is DeMonte Doug going to be a big part of this team uh, this season with Diamond Stone? You're more likely to answer that. Who? Okay, I'll, I'm going to modify this question slightly. With Diamond Stone in the fold, who do you think is a more integral part of the team who ends up making a bigger impact michael tchaikovsky or demonte dodd 
Well, I, I think Dodd probably uh, just because he's been, especially over the course of summer workouts, he's been a really popular guy himself. Um, I've actually heard from a few different people that Maryland has liked so much of what it's seen from DeMonte Dodd this summer that it's not any kind of a dead guarantee that Diamond Stone will start the season opener. Um, and, and that actually would make some sense. You know, you give Maryland a chance to, to ease him in. Um, but yeah, Dodd's supposedly in great shape and playing well. So I think that he had kind of a deceptively good season last year, even though it was better at the beginning than it was at the end. And uh, I think there's no reason that he shouldn't build on that. And, and the same it could be said of, of Tchaikovsky. Well, Tchaikovsky, I think, what, what, what do we think about his potential impact going forward next season? Because you saw we had the glimpses, but he was pretty raw, had his moments too. How much do you think we're going to, what do you think we're going to see from him next season? Well, the bare minimum that you'll see from him is a really, really good on-ball defender in the post. Um, I think his three best games last year, came against Wisconsin, Virginia, and Iowa State when he spent big chunks of the game against Frank Kaminsky, uh, Darian Atkins, and uh, Georges Nyang from Iowa State, three of the best big men in the country. Uh, and I think the reason for that is that he's really good at being seven feet tall and huge um, and just lining up against one guy, staying low, uh, and and making – uh, to the to the best extent that somebody can, uh, the plays that can contain guys like that. Um, I think you know that's that's certainly a valuable asset. But in terms of offensive growth, you have to see. I mean, it's um, it, it's tough to project. But Maryland obviously liked the skill when when he was recruited. So you know we'll see what's there. I call the defensive thing the Alex Len factor because still reminds me of a couple of years ago when Alex Len, of course, played his best games against the best teams. Yeah, but I think huge. it works. I think it works with his skill set because he, he's not the quickest on rotations and switches and things like that, but he's pretty good at locking in on one guy and just keep with him. So I think I think he has that value. Okay, let, one other thing that came out uh, during this July doldrums, the dog days of summer weren't really the dog days with Maryland news. The official non-conference schedule has been released. Nothing we didn't already know. We knew Maryland was playing Georgetown. We knew they were playing in Cancun. We knew they were playing in UNC, we knew they were playing UConn at the Garden, and we knew they were playing at Baltimore, we just didn't know who they were playing. Now that Maryland's non-conference schedule is out, what, I mean, it's a, it's definitely early to start projecting this kind of thing, of course, when we don't even know what the conference schedule is going to look like. We know the opponents, but not the order that Maryland will play them in. What do you, th- what, what, do, uh, what stands out to you the most about the non-conference schedule in terms of, I, I guess, some of the lesser-known opponents you know, the Princetons and Marshalls and the typical, you know, St. Francis of PAs and, and the like in there. What stands out to you the most about Maryland's non-conference schedule? It has to be that game right at the top against North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Um, I think, I, I don't know exactly in what order this will be, but it, it's probably going to be a 1-2 or maybe maybe like a 1-3 um, kind of matchup, and it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, whoever wins will have very much an inside track on a number one seed in the tournament. Should be a great game. Um, other than that, I think that the Princeton game in Baltimore could be neat um, just because it's at a place that I've never heard of. I've never heard of the Royal Farms Arena. It's been around for yeah, 40, absolutely. Have, almost 50 no, years I, now. I have no idea what it is or who has ever played there. Uh, uh, let's see. The Baltimore Skipjacks did. Hi, Kenny Albert. Uh, what sport, the Baltimore what sport did they play? That was the AHL. Wow. The AHL affiliate of... 
God. They were the Maine Mariners. That was the Flyers. They were called the Baltimore Skipjacks. So that's yeah. a little bit of useless trivia for you. Oh, uh, Barry Trotz was I the just... head coach of Barry oh. Trotz was the head coach of that. So there, there's one story. I know the Baltimore Bullets played there that's before something. they moved to the Cap Center that's in something. Landover. Yeah. Yes, that's something. Uh, I'm trying to think what else has been there. It's been around for almost 50 years. Uh, it hosted it hosted one of the uh, conference tournaments last year. Uh, it should come to me, and I can't remember. Could it have been the uh, the CAA or something like that? I think it was the CAA. I think it was the CAA. I think you're right, but it definitely it definitely hosted a conference tournament, and I do believe this is the first time Maryland's played in Baltimore in this arena specifically for the first time in like 15 years, I think. Yeah, I mean, can only can only be good good chance for for the people of Baltimore to get to see a pretty high high level of play. Um, it's first, well, it's a yeah. it's a pretty good team. Last time they were played in Baltimore. I mean, Princeton Princeton has been uh, popped into a few NCAA tournaments in the last few years. You know, it's not not a completely nothing program. It's uh, not completely nothing. Yeah. Well, it's it's, I think, it's, I think it's, it's a game that I don't think I'm particularly sad that we're losing in College Park. Let's just say that. I mean, well, non-conference games in College Park are are not very much fun from an atmosphere standpoint. I mean, depending on who it is. I think you know the last couple. Virginia of years, last year was pretty good. Virginia was a decent one. Um, there was the the game when uh, the Obamas came. Oregon State, which Maryland lost. Yeah, which was uh, you know it was intriguing just because. The I think the, well, the Georgetown atmosphere this year will be pretty fun. I think it should be. It should be. Yeah. You, usually, it's not the non-conference schedule that's uh, that's uh, the exciting part. I think we got one more question, and Jeff asked it right in under the gun. We already talked about Jesse Annabonham. Uh, about about his role, he's going to be a starter. But who are the uh, he asks who are the reasons oh, yeah. 2016 uh, basketball recruits left on the board? Yeah, we haven't talked a lot about 2016 basketball recruiting, which I think we're losing sight of because we're all kind of enamored with how good this season might be and how much change is going to come after this season. So what about some 2016 recruits that haven't been snapped up yet? We know about one for Maryland that's already coming, but what about a couple of others? Yeah, I mean, so in addition to Anthony Cowan, who's, who's a point guard from Washington, um, there's Markel Fultz, who's one of the best players in the country. He's like a top 20 guy nationally. Uh, Maryland's in the running for him. I mean, you know, they're going up against Devin Patapari and a handful of others, uh, other programs of significant repute. But, you know, Maryland's in the running. Uh, he's, again, right down the road at, at DeMatha Catholic down Route 1. Um, I know they've been connected to a couple of other five-star talents, uh, Josh Jackson from California, who I know they've been connected to, but I don't think they're that uh, that that close to getting you know, any kind of any kind of news from him. Um, I, there was news the other day um, from uh, someone who I hadn't known much about, but he, he's a five-star shooting guard, uh, Atkins, like I think Raul Atkins from New York. Um, I, I, you know, Maryland, they're, they're, and I should say that there are a handful of guys, um, you know, I say guys, it's, I guess, um, guys who devote themselves to covering recruiting and they do a really good job of it. Um, I, one of my favorites is Josh Stern from, uh, yes. sports. Josh is a real good guy. Josh, I, I see him tweeting pretty regularly, um, about Maryland being in it with, you know, various four and five star talents who, um, frankly, because they're younger than my little brother. Um, I just haven't familiarized my th- myself with <laughs> um, but you know, um, Maryland's Maryland's involved, and I think it's it's important to not lose sight of the fact that um, Maryland, even after four or five guys go pro after this season, has a pretty good foundation to build on. I mean, you'd have to think that 
you know, Cowan will obviously be there. There will be Jared Nickens. Deion Wiley will still be around. Demonte Dodd, Michael Tchaikovsky should still be around. Bender. Um, conceivably, Robert Carter, Ivan Bender. Um, so Maryland's still going to have a, a pretty good foundation. So it, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how that's supplemented right away. But it's, isn't it interesting, though, that we're seeing Maryland linked with four or five-star recruits all the time now? You know, and it wasn't too long ago that that wasn't the case, and now they're in the running with Dukes and Kentuckys and Louisvilles of the world all the time when it comes to recruiting, which shows you about the strength of the program, which, again, compared to where this was two, three years ago, it's a dramatic sea change. And I think some of us, are we're now starting to take it a bit for granted. Yeah, I think so. I I think uh, college basketball moves in cycles. I mean, all college sports do. Um, and Maryland's definitely in the up part of its cycle right now. Um, and, and the great programs find ways to uh, make that cycle last a really long time. Turgeon's been a part of a couple of those, um, you know, particularly at Kansas uh, where he played. So Maryland's got a good chance here to capitalize on what was a really nice comeback season last year. Um, if they can find a way to work themselves into the Final Four, the Elite Eight this year, um, then that's just more momentum. And momentum's something that we we really abuse that as a phrase in sports a lot of the time when it means absolutely nothing. We, should, think, we, should, think, we yeah. should have to pay a nickel every time we say we the should, word momentum. We should, but I think in the sense— We'd all be rich. In, in some charity would be rich. Recruiting is a completely human enterprise, right? I mean, it's not—there's you know, there's nothing statistical or analytical about it. Um, I think that momentum can be a thing, um, and I think Maryland probably has some, and, and the goal is to keep building it. So— there, there's. I mean, we talked about thirty minutes for a summer doldrums podcast, and one we were kind of doing off the cuff because I felt guilty that we hadn't done one in a month. Pirates in the rain delay. So, a, oh, well, are they in the rain delay anymore? I don't know. Hey, yeah, how, yep. how about the how about those Mets? Yeah, you know, good for you guys. Good for you. Oh God, I'm always glad, always glad to see you know an underdog. I mean, remember the Pirates lost for the first uh, <laughs> 18, 19 years of my life. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Well, no, after last Wednesday and Thursday, anything is a welcome change. I yeah, they, got some, they got some fun guys. I love that. Picture. I've I've never had I've never seen a more Mets 48 hours than Wednesday and Thursday. It Those was. were the most Mets things ever. And now they've won four in a row since then, which is absolutely and they're in first. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I don't. I, the good thing is Maryland is a more Orioles campus than it is Nationals campus, so I, I don't think I'll be that in trouble if I start wearing Mets gear all throughout September. Yeah, the thing is that I think people there aren't very many Nationals fans um, under or above, excuse me, over a certain age, just because. Yes. They, you know they've only been here ten years, so anybody who's in college right now, um, basically would have had to start being a baseball fan around the age of eight. Um, so yeah, it's, I feel like, Eight I, feel to like 11. Couple, I feel like in a couple of years, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of red W's on this campus, but right now, not so many. Right now. And that makes me feel pretty good because boy, will it be awesome if the Mets do it, but I'm, I'm, I'm being too presumptuous and I, I shouldn't do that because this podcast is going to come back to bite me later in the year and I'm going to hate myself for that. Uh, hopefully we will be doing more consistent podcasts. For the rest of this month, I think it'll still be a bit inconsistent because of schedules, and we don't know exactly when training camp starts. Do you know exactly when That's, it starts yet? You're not supposed yet? to tell them that. You're not supposed to say that in public. Oh, uh, well, I'm going to be – I'm being honest. I'm being but, a good soldier. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, they haven't released dates yet, but I know that um, I think in the next week – I think it, it might even be a week from tonight um, – there's going to be there's gonna be media day, and then shortly after that, um, Maryland starts its, its process 
Um, Did Brady Edsel say just, anything of note at Big Ten Media Day that we didn't already know? Because that, no, no, that was nobody. Recent. Nobody has ever said anything of note at any conference media day. Uh, I just have to check because ESPN likes to make me think that these coaches are saying something important and unique, which is clearly <laughs> not the case. I, I just have to. I have to check. I have to check. Forgive me. Uh, but we will be back in August, and by the end of this month, and you can take me on my word, I'm saying it on the air, and this will be recorded for posterity's sake, we will have a weekly consistent date for the podcast starting at the end of this month because football season is starting, and I promise you that. Bear with us until we get there, and hopefully our next podcast will have more than just me and Alex because the last two podcasts have just been us. Oh, yes, also apologies for the lost podcast that no one saw because it never got posted on the website, although some people probably – although I do know somebody that listened to it. Hi, Skipjack. You did listen to the podcast. I knew that was going to work. Anyway, thank you for joining me tonight, Alex. I appreciate it at 11 o'clock on the East Coast. Thank you very much for doing this. Also on a bit short notice. Yep, absolutely. It was good to talk about Maryland again. And thanks to all of you who wrote in questions. We really appreciate it again. We're not going to be this bad with the podcast and scheduling in the future, I promise. Just bear with us for now. I'm still kind of in summer mode. Alex, even though you're in College Park, you're kind of still in summer mode, I'd have to assume, right? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, yeah. I've been, you're, I've been you're, you're, you're less in summer mode than I am. I'm still going to be in summer mode for a while. But thanks <laughs> very well. Appreciate it while we got it. So for now... Thank you for listening to the Testudo Times podcast. We will be back with you relatively soon. And, of course, go Terps!